0: Pack Mule for Christ Ministries here on the island of Mauritius, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 43, all the way to chapter 2, verse 12. We need to know where we are going to spend our eternity, and you know what? Guess what? The Bible gives us that assurance, gives us that confidence, with which no other religion has that confidence. Any other religion is religion. Any other belief system. A religion. They don't know. They hope that they'll be in a better place. Well, the confidence that we as Christians have is what the Bible tells us. And if we do not know what the Bible tells us, well then guess what? Now's our opportunity to get into it. Let's do that. We will see that these very men and women that will come to follow Jesus will do it in a step-by-step format. It's not that they came to Jesus and they knew all that needed to be done. All they knew was that Jesus was who he said he was and that's what we have here and that's what we are going through and that's what I want us to see as we go through the Gospel of John. If we stop taking the steps toward the living God, we will stop learning to follow God. The epistle that James would write said this here in chapter four, verse eight. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Finishing, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There is an active role that we as men, that is anthropos, the Greek word, it's human, mankind, we all have this responsibility to come to the Lord we all have this responsibility to respond to what it is God did for all of mankind. All through Jesus Christ. Let's learn more about that. We have already been uh, told and have hopefully learned that the Word is God and that the Word is none other than Jesus. We follow Jesus. We follow God by His Word. And I am saying by our active participation to read his word. Waiting to go to church so that you could have the pastor, the preacher, priest, or the messenger of God to read God's word for you is not the same thing. Our hearts should already be prepared before coming to gather alongside our brothers and sisters to share in and with the word of God As it is being read to the masses by the pastor, by the preacher, by the priest, by the messenger of God. If you cannot read or you have issues with attention, I understand that. There's exceptions to every rule. Well, you know what? May it be that when it is being read to you in that respect, that your heart is open. Because you know what? You can pray. You can most certainly talk to God. He most certainly will listen to you that your heart would seek him, look for him. And I would go so far as to say that what you, those who cannot read, those who cannot hold attention, when your prayer is an accompaniment in search of God, I believe that the Holy Spirit is active and working in the life of every believer. That in fact, when the word of God is read to you, is taught to you, you will be able to not only be in agreement with it, You'll be able to know when the word of God is being read to you or when that is being said. That is, when the word of God is being manipulated in order to push an agenda and or say what the word of God does not, in fact, say. Seek the Lord. Jesus is alive. His Holy Spirit is active and working in the life of every believer. You can bet that when you look into God's word, you will find him. He knows who you are. Let's see about that. Verses 43 to 51. And I read. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the hometown of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip said. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite. In whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Before Peter came, uh, before Peter called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered. Rabbi Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, and Jesus will be the only one in all the gospel message from all the writers to say that. Truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, I say to you, or I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's stop right there. Nathanael learns of Jesus. Not by the words of his friend, but by Jesus himself. By the word of God. Take note of the connection that we have here. What is actually happening, but people are coming to Jesus. People are bringing others to Jesus, but they're not coming to know Jesus by what others have told them. They're coming to know Jesus by Jesus himself. It happened with Peter. Andrew, in our study last time, came to go get Peter, his brother, and here we see the same thing with Philip. Philip goes to look for his friend and brings him to Jesus. We learned last time that the first two disciples, Andrew and uh, presumably as we come to believe and, and know that John, the, the gospel writer, was the other, went to follow Jesus. And when Jesus saw them coming, remember Jesus, uh, following him, Jesus said, what do you see? We want to see where you are staying. And Jesus said, come, come and see. And we talked about that, that come and see, that is to say how gentle Jesus was with these first two disciples. Come, come to consider, come to see for yourself who I am. Come to see for yourself where I lay my head. But here we see that Jesus tells Philip, follow me. It is a different word in the Greek. It is a different word. a different attention is given. Why? I don't know. But I do know one thing, that what it is that Jesus tells Philip here, Jesus will tell Peter there in John chapter 21, verse 19. Let me read it for you. It's at the end of our gospel. Jesus says to Peter, This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Peter, follow me. The idea, Jesus was telling Peter to be a witness for him. Jesus was telling Peter, you know who I am. You have already come and you've seen. Now I want you to be a witness for me. Now the very word used for what we uh, uh, translate to witness is martus. Martus comes from where we get our word martyr. Jesus is telling Peter, be a martyr for me. Be that witness for me. Now, Jesus is also telling Philip that very same thing. Hey, you know what? When we are called to follow Jesus, it's not a taste test. It's not something that we try and then leave. Though Jesus is very gentle and respectful, and as all ministers ought to be, come and see who Jesus is. But the idea is that, hey, this is the truth. We're going to see that later in the the gospel by the time we get to chapter 14. Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father, no one can know God except through Him. That's what the Bible teaches. That is the assurance that we as Christians have of knowing the true and living God. No other religion can firmly say that. They can force you to say that, but they cannot firmly believe it. Philip is called to be a witness for Christ and that is exactly what he does as he looks for his friend Nathanael. The other gospels may be referring to Nathanael uh, uh, when they mention the name Bartholomew. It is not a contradiction in the in the writings. It's just a, a name is, is is different. The name has is changed. Verses forty five and forty six. Philip he found Nathanael and told him. We have found the one. We have found the one that Moses spoke about. We have found the one that uh, all the prophets wrote about. Philip and Nathanael were both Jews. They probably were disciples of John the Baptist. They had been listening to John the Baptist more than likely speak of this coming one. And John, the Gospel writer, was there when that coming one finally arrived on the scene. John began to follow him. Andrew, the brother of Peter, began to follow him. Jesus is walking and takes on Philip. And he begins to follow him. Philip goes to tell his friend. But look what his friend says. His friend says this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? what are, It was a doubtful statement. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one that we know have been taught all through the scriptures, the one that John the Baptist has been talking about the whole time, came from Nazareth. What's the big deal with that? Two points. Philip gives a fulfillment of prophecy that the Jewish people were supposed to be looking for as a truthful sign about the Messiah, he will be called a Nazarene. Now that the Gospel writer Matthew will write in his. There in Matthew chapter two, verse 23, he wrote this, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Though we do not find any one verse in the Old Testament, that states this. What we do see in the statement that Nathaniel made, which is, can anything good come out of Nazareth, very well fits the most probable understanding of this prophecy. Nazareth was a town that the rest of the surrounding people viewed with no respect. So when Matthew writes in his gospel, he shall be a Nazarene, Any verse found in the Bible would be more evidence to show that it means Jesus would be treated with no respect. And there we have one. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3, it reads this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone who the people would turn away from. He was despised and we did not value him. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there feeling just like that, feeling uh, despised, feeling disrespected, feeling unwanted, unworthy. Well, you know what? Guess what? That's exactly how your master walked in this earth. He was despised. He was disrespected. Hey, you know what? He told the truth and everyone called him a liar. We're going to see at the very end of this gospel how his own people, the religious leaders, treated him What they said about him to the very one who would give the order to crucify him. This man is evil, they said about Jesus. Sad place to be when your own brothers call you evil. It is a sad place to be when your own uh, countrymen, we as men and women, disrespect one another, despise one another. Hey, you know what? Maybe, Maybe we called it upon ourselves. Maybe we did. I know I did. In my life, I know that I brought on any disdain that was brought upon me. But don't let that hold you down. Don't let that keep you down. Because Jesus, who was perfect in every way, he was also despised. Come to know the Lord. He knows what it's like. Jesus said to Nathanael, In whom there was no deceit, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says to his friend, Nathanael, hey, come, come and see. These were the exact same words Jesus used to the first disciples. Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. That's what I'm pleading. With all of you out there listening, come and see for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, get one. Read from his word, which is exactly what we are doing here at Pack New for Christ Ministries. That's my calling, that's what I'm told to do, and that's what I'm gonna do. And that is this, read them through the Bible. You don't have to be smart. In whom there was no deceit, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael, check this out, Jesus told Nathanael, here, truly is an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. Now the King James Bible, which I do like this word better, it says, in whom there is no guile. This is the word, guile. Let me touch on that for a moment. Deceit guile. It's a word that means to trick. It means uh, to be crafty. It means to be deceitful. And let me tell you something. You can be a Christian and act just like this. To be tricky, to be deceitful, to be crafty. I don't know why. But it is this way. But our focus is to always remember this. We as men, that is human Mankind, we have the right to fail. We have the right to fail. Do you know why? Because our hearts are wicked. It's what we do. We are failures. The only thing good is ever given to us by permission of God. And the only thing good that has been perfect is God. Therefore, our attention should always be on the one the Bible speaks of. And that's we're being introduced to. Jesus. Why? do um, uh, uh, Christians and or are deceitful. I, I, I don't know. After much prayer and contemplation of the, 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 the initial subject how is it that a teacher of the word of God how is it that a, a Christian can lie so much can deceit, be crafty be tricky. Well it won't be the first time that God actually uses a man like that god took the name of jacob jacob now jacob's name back in the book of genesis chapter 30 his very name meant supplanter what does that mean it means to take the place of by deception it means to take the place of by means of deception and that's exactly what jacob did jacob took the place of the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn. But what he did was he tricked Esau. He tricked Esau, his older brother, just before the blessing, just before Isaac was going to bless his children. He only had two, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob tricked Esau, took advantage of him, and obtained the blessing of the firstborn. Well, that being said, what God did with Jacob what God did was that he took his name which meant deception, which meant supplenter, which meant take the place of by deception and he changed it. He changed it to Israel. Now Israel means this, the prince with God. It means governed by God. It means those that are in the center of God's will are led of God. So what God did was he took that man name, the the name which definitely represents that what a man is, a deceiver, and he changed it to that which what a man is in Christ, prince with God. You come to Christ, you trust him, you come to the Lord, by which what the Bible says of him, and you are from a deceiver to a prince in a second. That very moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are in the center of God's will for your life. But we need to do it the way those who followed Jesus did it. Let's follow him. Let's look how they did it. Jacob had gained a reputation for using deception in his business practices. We see an example of this in his dealings with his stepfather Laban there in Genesis chapter 30. I can only say uh, maybe Christians seem to find their their support for deception in that Jacob was but we can't forget that's who Jacob was we need to be who Jacob became Israel we need to be who Jacob is in Christ the center of God's will for his life the prince of God there's no deception in our prince there's no deception there's no lie no trickery Nathanael did not have this kind of character within him and Jesus knew it and he publicly announced it Jesus knew the character of Nathanael as well as knowing other personal information about his life to the surprise of Jesus this was uh, this was enough for Nathanael to believe what his friend Philip had said to him earlier come we have found the one Philip prepared him with the same words that Jesus says to you and me and to all of mankind. Come and see that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. Come and see the king of Israel, the king of all those who are prince with God, the king with all those who are in the center of God's will for their lives. That is you and me. Whenever we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we immediately go into the center of God's will for our lives. Anytime we make a choice or a decision to choose what we want to do for our own lives, we step out of it. But you're not meant to stay there. Why? Because Jesus has come. Jesus gave his life. And Jesus died for us. We're going to see all that. And then, therefore, we can come to him each and every time. Get back into the center of God's will for your life. Learn to stay in the center of God's will for your life. Watch God work as he put, as He performs his will for your life. For the Holy Spirit is active and working in the life of every believer, transforming you more to the likeness of Christ. Jesus knows all about you. Let that be enough for you as it was for Nathanael to come and see what the Lord has for you. Now there in verse uh, 51, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus tells Nathanael about a future event. It has yet to come when Jesus will reign on earth. Let's be ready. Let's be ready for that. Let's be looking for our Lord to come. Chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, the first 12 verses. It reads this. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus told him, They do not have any wine. And Jesus responded like this. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Or woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That sounds a lot like what or how children are speaking to their parents today. But let me explain to you what that is. It continues. Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now. Six stone water jars or big pots had been set there for Jewish purification, each containing 20 to 30 gallons of water. And it was instructed by Jesus, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So the servants filled them up to the brim. Then Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter or take it to the master of the feast. And they did that. Verse 9, when the head waiter or the master of the feasts tasted the water after it had become wine, they did not know where it came from. The servants who drew the water, they knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then when everyone has drunk or when the people are drunk, then they bring out the inferior wine. But you, you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. I'd like to explain a little bit of when Jesus said to his mother, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Which, unfortunately, we hear a lot of that from the youth today. That, it just sounds so disgraceful. But calling her woman was no mark of disrespect. It was the usual way of speaking amongst the Jews in this culture, in this time. It was the usual way of speaking with Jews when they showed the greatest respect to the person that is being spoken to. It was a lovely word. It was the highest word given to a woman. It was, it was gentle, it, it was. it was respectful. It was more like you, the one whom I respect to the highest degree. What you are asking me, what you are saying, it's not along the same lines of what I am here for and what I am thinking. Keep in mind that Jesus is God. We learned that. Jesus came down to man. Man is not equal to God. Nowhere near. Man is inferior to God. Yet Jesus as God came down. And what he's saying to, with great respect, woman, loved one, what you're thinking, how you think is finite. How I think is infinite. We're not on the same page. And furthermore, It was used by our Lord when he addressed his mother with the greatest tenderness and the strongest affection at the end of our gospel. We're going to see that there in the gospel of John, uh, chapter 19. uh, Jesus will be on the cross. He'll say the same thing just before he dies. He'll say this, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, we now know is John. We know it's John, the gospel writer. He saw John and his mother standing next to each other, and he said, woman, behold thy son. He tells his mother, don't worry, John will take care of you. Because a woman back in this time, in this culture, without a man in his life, within her life, without a husband, without sons, she was as good as dead. Jesus establishes who he is as God. He is not like man. He doesn't think like man, and he makes it clear from the beginning. We as Christians, when we become Christians and we go to tell our friends who are not Christians yet, and we go to tell them that, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, look, come and see Jesus. It's not for us to join in what they are still doing and or what you and I used to do. Jesus doesn't do that. He makes it clear. What you're thinking is not the way God thinks, just as those of the world. What they are thinking is not the way it Those of God think. It should or not be. We depend on God's word to direct us and show us what it is God is saying. What it is is God is thinking. And what we see here is this. God says, woman, my time is not yet. My hour is not yet. And what does Mary say? Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus says. That's what Mary, the mother of Jesus, says. Is recorded saying here interesting with what we have of all the words of Mary in the Bible the majority of her dialogue is always showing Mary to be obedient to instruction and humble in spirit except for here except for right here because here we have the one command given by Mary the mother of Jesus it's this the one order The one instruction, the one command given to men is this. Do whatever he says. Do whatever Jesus says. The words of the Bible show Mary to consistently be glorifying Jesus. Somewhere, somehow, there has been a change in the relationship between man and God, which we learn from the uh, letter written to Timothy, Second letter written to Timothy that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. For there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus, not Mary. Mary is not the mediator between God and man, never was. Never was. But what we do have is what Mary tells man to do, and that is exactly in confirmation with what the rest of the Bible tells us, what elsewhere in the Bible tells us. Do whatever he says. Keep your eyes and mind on Jesus. Wine. It was a rabbinical symbol of joy. Therefore, to run out of wine would almost have been the same as admitting that neither the guests nor the bride and groom were happy. We also have to understand that this is not the acceptance to indulge in or overindulge in the beverage, in, in the wine. Wine today. The alcoholic content of wine today far exceeds the way it was back then. Nonetheless, nonetheless, wine is not prohibited to drink. Drinking in excess is. That's not what we're to learn here. What we are seeing is this. Now remember from our first, uh, from the introduction to the Gospel of John, we are going to see seven unique miracles that Jesus will perform along with seven unique statements that Jesus will make starting with I am. All of which, all 14, all of which will be significant to describe, explain the significance and uniqueness of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is, What did he come here for? Here we have the first one. He transformed water into wine. A miracle. Understand this. At a Jewish feast, a Jewish wedding, failure to provide for the guests would only end in social disgrace. The Jewish communities in the time of Jesus were very close to one another. And such an error would never be forgotten and would be a trouble for the newlywed couple which could last for all of their lives could have been for the rest of their lives this disgrace this humiliation to run out of wine jesus performs the miracle how nervous those that were bringing the wine that were taking the wine to the master of the feast giving him water how joyful that's going to be to watch them get kicked out, well, that water was no longer water. Just as our life is as water, there's no flavor, no taste, it's got nothing in it. No matter what we really do in our lives, it really has no significance compared to that which God has prepared for us. And what Jesus does in our lives, significantly, he brings the joy. He brings a joy that will never be taken away from you. We might walk away from that joy, but you know what we'll always find? We will always find depression, disgrace, disgust, usually about ourselves. Oh yeah, a lot of people might blame others for their faults, but nonetheless, they're still unhappy. There's no joy there. Because only Jesus, only a man, that is a woman or male, male or female, when they're in the center of God's will for their lives, It is in fact Jesus who is the ruler of it. It is in fact Jesus who is the joy. We don't have any. He is the joy. And that is where the pleasure comes in sharing who Jesus is, in reading about who Jesus is. And look what the the master of the the feast said. He says, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior, they bring out the, the poor wine. What difference does it make? They're drunk, they can't taste, but you. You, you have kept the wine until now. Now remember, this was a wedding that Jesus was invited to. Jesus is not getting married. Jesus did this uh, the first signs. Because of Jesus, the newly married couple will now, they will now be remembered not for running out of wine and becoming a social disgrace to the community. No, because of Jesus, They will be remembered for all time as the couple that saved the best for last. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has the best in store for you. That's guaranteed, that's guaranteed. And that is the the significance of the first miracle that we see here. That's what I saw when I read that. And that's what I've put together to share with you because I know what it's like to be a disgrace. I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to feel inferior. It's not about me anymore. It's all about him. And the Bible says he is not a disgrace. The Bible says he is not depressed. The Bible says he is not disappointed. For God so loved the world, and we're going to see that by the time we get to chapter three, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, would put their faith in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Would not be separated from God for all eternity, but had fellowship with God for all eternity. Everlasting life.